reach, raise, and release. Say that with me. Reach, raise, and release. That's the church vision. That's what pastors been preaching. Well, I've been here 20 years, and almost. I can't believe it. I didn't have gray hair when I first started coming. Can you believe it? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, the glory, <laughs> the crown of glory. There we go. So we're going to talk about this church vision, and we're going to talk about it, how it applies to plowing. All right, plowing hard dirt. Now, I was going to dress up as a farmer with a little you know, wheat out of my, my mouth there and a little hat. I don't know what a farmer necessarily looks like, but I do not have the clothes to look like a farmer. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, but I think they have some more heavy-duty boots for the, the mud and everything else. But <laughs> So let's pray. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Father God, thank you so much for meeting us here at this moment. Your Holy Spirit, your presence in, is with us. I thank you, Lord, that I would step aside, that your word would go forth, and we would mutually come to just eat at your table, to drink from your true word. Thank you, Father, for the blessing that you have for us. For those listening, too, on, online and everything else later, I thank you, Lord, that you would bless the people with your word because your word doesn't return void. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Have your way. Amen. Hallelujah. So our key verse is John 6, verse 66. I want to put that on the screen here, but before we read it, Let's take a look at what happened in John chapter 6. The day before this verse, Jesus is miraculously feeding the 5,000. All right, now he tests Philip. He says, hey, what are we going to do about this? Jesus has been preaching all day. There's 5,000 men, so probably 15,000 or more people, and they're hungry. So Jesus puts out the challenge to Philip, what are you going to do? Oh, man, I don't know, Lord. It would take a whole year's worth of money to feed these people just a bite. And I don't know about you, but if I just have a bite of food and I'm hungry, I'd rather not have the bite. It's like a terrible temptation there. You're teasing me. So it's like going to a party, 30 people there, and one pizza, you know? Like, come on. Everybody should have a pizza, you know? I don't know. Hey, Jesus is like that, though. At the parties Jesus had, people had abundance and overflow. What happened? Everybody ate till they were full. They had a bunch of carbs. Hallelujah. Those were complex, good carbs. They were, hey, Jesus is the bread of life. Bread's not bad. And, <laughs> and the disciples had 12 basketfuls of scraps left over. That's a full basketful of stuff for them afterwards. And so this is amazing, right? Amen. This is a miraculous thing. And what's Jesus do? Okay, disciples, you get in the boat. You're going to go across the other side. I'm going to go off to pray. And the crowds disperse. The disciples go in the boat. Jesus goes up to pray. And in the fourth hour, we, we're going to read in Mark, Jesus sees the disciples struggling. Because what happened? A great storm came. Isn't that just so true? You have this miraculous breakthrough. Ministry's going awesome. And then you go into the storm. The storm of life. And they were struggling. And what's Jesus do? He's watching them. He's waiting. And they're rowing and struggling against the wind. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. And then we see, and I'm putting all the Gospels together because this account is uh, pretty big in John, but the other Gospels fill it in too. And this is when Peter's like, Lord, if it's you, bid me out. Bid me to come. And so he's like, come. And, Jesus, and Peter starts walking on the water and then he gets a little afraid and starts sinking, and Jesus rescues him, and then they both get in the boat, and John says immediately they're at the other side. So another miracle, like transportation is amazing. Jesus is like, got that handled. Don't have to wait. Don't have to row anymore. We're going to be there, right there. Then the next day happens, and this is where we're getting closer to our key verse. So the next day happens. Now the people... They notice the disciples, because they went and they got in their boats and they went, and so they're in this other place. They notice the disciples are there, but hey, there's Jesus too. How'd he get here? Huh. Well, I don't know, but so no one could figure that out, but we know Jesus got there miraculously. He's the son of God. And immediately the Lord knew they wanted 
their bellies filled. That's what they're really about. And this is when Jesus starts discussing and challenging. And even we see this big argument happen. This is a long chapter. And this is an argument that happens between the Lord Jesus, the people, the crowds, the religious Pharisees, and even the disciples. And not just the 12, but he had a lot of disciples. And what happened was the problem was Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Because see, what you need is you need the true bread, so you'll never grow hungry. Now remember, he said something similar to the woman at the well, right? You need some true water, so you're not going to go thirsty. I'm the true water. So here's Jesus saying this, I'm the true bread who came down. No, 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 no. Our, our, our father, you know, Moses and Abraham, we had the manna. Well, Jesus is like, I'm the manna. Okay, so he keeps challenging them, and they start grumbling. They start, huh, I don't know about this. And Jesus pushes it. He keeps pushing it. See, he's not tolerant. He's not trying to uh, get a lot of people to follow him. He's not, oh, please follow me, please follow me and believe me. Jesus is challenging them. So he starts saying some really hard stuff. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. Now the disciples are like, whoa, this is a hard saying. What are you talking about? This sounds like cannibalism. This is crazy. You would think like Jesus would, you know, try and maybe use lighter words and maybe be a little bit more um, seeker-friendly to the crowd. But no, he's not, and he keeps pushing it to the point Let's stand and read this, because I like standing in the presence of the Lord and with the word. We're going to stand and let's read this together. Hallelujah. John 6, verse 66, 666, the perfection of man. This is what it gets you. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Amen. You may be seated. So the disciples left. Now, we know that religious Pharisees didn't want anything to do with it. And the crowd's just like, no more free meal, I guess. So what happened to the altar call? What happened to that church service? Seems like where Jesus went, a lot of people wanted to either kill him, stone him, um, drive him out. And here, they just, they left. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Sounds like some hard hearts. And we're going to discuss that tonight. Because Jesus kept saying, you do not believe. See, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the one who came down from heaven. The will of God is to believe on him who he sent, Jesus said. It's so perfect in John 6. We have the full gospel, everything we need right there. And yet, they just would not believe after everything they saw. Even the disciples, after everything they saw. Hmm. National Geographic first published an article titled, The World's Newest Major Religion is No Religion. Hmm, this is a recent one this year. The religiously unaffiliated, they are called nuns, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. They are growing significantly. In fact, they're the second largest religious group in North America. Um, we have a graphic about this. Now, this graphic, the gray is bad. Okay, the gray means that the loss of Christianity is 2 to 5% or even more than 5%. And as you can see, it's North America and Australia. That Christianity is not growing anymore, it's losing. It's losing members. And what is growing is what Barna Group says, skeptics. And they are comprised of atheists and agnostics. Now, an atheist is someone who says there is no God. There absolutely is no absolute God, okay? An agnostic is someone who says, well, um, I don't believe in God, but I can't prove that he's not there, so I don't know. Now, most people I can pressure into when I debate them that they're going to leave atheism and say they're agnostic because there's absolutely just, you cannot prove atheism and you can really get them tongue-tied in a lot of areas. But Barna puts both of those groups into something called skeptics, all right? So... They represent one quarter, 25% of unchurched adults today in America. Now, 20 years ago, among my generation, 30 years old, around there, 
it was 18%. Today, it's 23%. So it's rapidly growing. Now, my question is, how is that possible in the age of American churchianity where we have megachurches, we have church on TV, radio shows, crusades, technology, and yet what's happening? Christianity is declining, and atheism, agnosticism is rising at great, at great rates. So this is the challenge. Now, I see a correlation between this culture that we live in and John 6, hard hearts. Are you ready to plow? Are you ready to plow? We need to plow. God calls us to plow the field, right? And we're going to talk about this because this is our culture. This is where we're at. And we have to understand, like in Esther, it says, for such a time as this, you were born. We have to understand why are we here at this moment? Why are we in North America? Why are we blessed to, to be in this culture? Look, I'm a web developer at a college. I'm in the, co the college higher education understanding where all this stuff is originating, all this foul, evil, idolatrous philosophy. And God put me right in there. Where has God put you? I'll tell you what God has not called us to do. He's not called us to be silent any longer. Amen? So, like the crowds, we have people turning away from Christ. Point number one is we need to understand this trinity of truth. And this is a beautiful thing that the Lord has done through Pastor Don here at this, this church over 20 years. I remember when I first came, pastors preaching on seed time and harvest, and it's just awesome. And so the trinity of truth, the, the Holy Spirit plopped into my heart, is reach, raise, and release by being blessed, broken, and given through seed, time, and harvest. Amen. You see, you can't reach someone, evangelism, you can't reach someone unless you understand the blessing of the kingdom within you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you. Now, so many people, they're not going to witness if they lose friends. They're not going to evangelize if they, because they, they, they just don't know the Bible enough or they don't think that they're equipped that's why they leave it to the pastor. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. Amen. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's upon you, and he's working through you. But if we don't understand that and receive that, we're not going to reach. So we, that's the blessing of God that we've been empowered to do the reaching through the seed, which is God's word. Now, what's happening in churchianity today is there is evangelism going on, but it's moral relativism. It's being relevant in the culture. We're going to have the concerts. We're going to have the light shows. We're going to have the media. But the question is, where is the word of God? You see, because if you're reaching by being blessed but not giving the seed of God's word, whom are you reaching? The soil of the heart of man can only receive the seed of God's word. That's only what it's designed to do. And the Lord made a man out of the soil of the earth. And we returned to dust. Isn't that amazing? And what got cursed after the fall? The ground. And what does it take to till up the hard-heartedness of the ground? It takes a lot of effort. It takes plowing. We're going to be talking about that. You see, you can't raise, that's discipleship, you can't raise someone in discipleship unless you're first broken to the call of God's word and his will for your life. And see, God will break us to the people we're called to. If we're not broken to God's word and broken to his will and broken to the people we're called to reach, then how are we going to disciple in love? And... What does this brokenness take? It takes time. See, it's easy to pray for someone at the altar. It's easy to do evangelism. Billy Graham does the crusades 
what do they say, 2% of people get plugged into church. Why? Because it takes time, a season of time to disciple and raise someone after you've been broken to equip them. It takes time. 14 years I prayed for my friend to come out of atheism, and he's come to this church, and the Lord has done a marvelous work in his life. 14 years of prayer for one person. Time, the season of being in God's word. Worship. And release. We're released to the ministry, right? Our ministry or God's ministry? That's, that's a big problem in, in churchianity today. Everybody's releasing themselves to do what they want to do. I want to preach. I want to do crusades. Well, what's the Lord want to do? Maybe you should be released to his ministry through you and let him raise you up, and then you're going to be in his authority. And guess what? God's always going to put you under authority of the house, of the man of God, under leadership, and train you up. So we're released to ministry, and here's the kicker. We must be given in service, okay? If we're not given, who are we doing ministry to? So many times ministry has become personal enjoyment for people. Music ministry is huge. From Elvis to Whitney Houston, these musicians with great talent from the Lord were raised in the church, worshipped in the church, but they wanted their own will. Not to be given according to the Lord, but to get, to get from concerts and everything else. Brian Head Welch from Corn, before he got saved, though he is I do pray for him. But he said, we'd be up on stage, and it was like they were worshiping us. Well, imagine that. They were. People have these idols of music. Chris Cornell just committed suicide last week. Lead singer of, anybody know? Soundgarden, Audio Slave, everything else. And guess what? The Lord's putting me into those places online to minister to them. And I can talk about that later if the Lord has time. But able to minister to people we were wondering, wow, this, uh, uh, some people are like, it's almost like these musicians are broken. I'm like, yes, and let me tell you why. They do not have the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the, everything of the world, but they do not have the Lord. See, because if you're not broken to his will, you'll be broken to the devil's will. But you're going to be broken. And so we're released to ministry. We're given in service. But what's the end result Harvest. So what is ministry and what is service if there's not a harvest? Oh, well, it's a social event. It's a, a club. I don't know, a, a gathering where people can feel purposeful. But it's not God. See, there has to be a harvest connected to all of that. And if there's no harvest, then we're just doing a club. God has always asked for a return on investment, and he put the seed in us, and he's wanting 30, 60, uh, even a hundredfold return on that. Everybody still with me? Yeah. Hallelujah. Okay. Because you know what? The Lord is with us, and he is kind, and he is good, and he is encouraging us right now with this word, and he is with us. So I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed, but I want you to be encouraged to know that you are here for a purpose. You are here at such a time as this, and God is calling you to reach, raise, and release by being blessed, broken, and given through seed, time, and harvest. Because you might be concerned that, why hasn't my releasing come? Well, where's your time season at? Or, why am I not raising anybody why am I not being used in discipleship? I would ask, are you broken yet? Are you being broken? Are you being willing to be broken to the things of God, to the people of God? We say things of God, but they're always people. God is after souls. God is doing one thing on the earth, and that is saving his people whom he died for and whom he redeemed. So if we're not broken for them, then we're not going to be raising them. How can you raise someone you're not broken to? So let's go into this a little bit more detail. Reach. All right, so notice 
the, the vision of this church is reach, raise, and release, not catch and release. Catch and release. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The gospel starts out with Jesus going to some fishermen and saying, hey, how's it going? Have you caught anything? No, cast your net on the other side. And what happened? They got a huge catch. And the gospel ends with Peter being sad because he denied the Lord and he goes back out fishing with some of the guys. And there's Jesus making a good breakfast with some fish on the beach, and he calls out, children, I like that. He says, children, have you caught anything? No, cast your net on the other side. And as soon as they do, John says, Peter, it's the Lord, and he strips down and swims after him, and he's restored. But isn't it interesting? It starts and ends with fishing. And Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, um, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know if that surprises some of you. Definitely never been invited by pastor to go fishing. Um, but I, ha- I have one story, my first and last. I have a story of fishing. I was about 12, went with my family. My buddy Eric was there, got my fishing pole. We got a brand new one. I liked the color, a little red or something. And we would go up to Apple Hill. <laughs> It's a big old huge lake. No, it's like this pond, but a pretty dirty pond at that. Pretty grungy and <laughs> it's a, yeah. But I'm like, okay, no fish are biting. Well, probably because they're all dead, but we won't say that. Um, I, you know, you push your little, the, the button down and then you, you cast and let it go and then you reel it in. So I'm like, well, I got to get mine out a lot farther than everybody else. So, you know, I'm. I'm going to back up a little bit. Then I'll back up more. And I just release the whole thing. <laughs> the, it's, the, whole, the whole pole is gone. It's just flying through the air, and it lands in the middle and sinks to the bottom. And, you know, Dad's like, uh, what'd you do? <laughs> I just threw the whole thing in. <laughs> sort of forgot to hold on to it. Yeah, further than anybody else, and that thing is gone at the bottom, and I'm just like, oh, I don't like fishing. <laughs> just, this is a bad day, and we, <laughs> we ended up renting a fishing pole and putting a sinker on it, yep, and probably for more than it costs new, you know, you got to rent, the, it's a sham over there, they're running their thing, and I was like, if I could hook that fishing pole with the sinker. Maybe I can grab it in. Dad's like, you can try it. And it seemed like hours go by. I know they want to leave, and my family's back there. They want to leave and go. And I'm, I get in this, these modes in life, and it started as a child, where I'm just like, no, I have to finish this. Let me get this. I just have to hook onto this thing. And so I'm casting it out and reeling it in. And finally, I catch some of the string and you know, the button was released, so I'm just pulling in string and string, and it's like piles of string everywhere. And then there's that pole, and it comes in. And would you believe it that at the end of that pole was a fish? <laughs> True story. My first and only time I've ever caught a fish. And I know that fish was like, this, this, this guy threw his whole pole in there. I'm going to bite that down. I mean... What, what do I have to lose? And that fish, he got caught. But, uh, yeah, it was this big. No, <laughs> no it, was, it, was a, it was pretty big. I mean, to me, I'm a little kid, but I was like, sweet. Now, now, the problem was it was a catch and release type of thing. And I'm thinking all this time, all this effort, I want this fish this has to be my fish, you know. Now, mom's like, do you really want, who knows what's inside of it? Who knows what they've been feeding this? This is like a cesspool of, you know, radiation. I don't know. So we released it. We released it back into the water. And I'm just like, all oh, that hard work. And that's the last time I've ever gone fishing. I'll tell you that. I haven't missed much, but I have caught a fish. Amen. Hallelujah. And now... Now, <laughs> yeah. 
Now, catch and release is sports. It's fun. No harm, no foul, unless you throw your pole in. But, you know, there's no gutting. There's no killing. There's no fish smell. You just release it back in. You just get to catch and release. How many of us in this culture have sort of observed that churchianity today is doing that? You see... Capturing men's hearts and men's souls means bringing them into the captivity of Jesus Christ and his lordship. It does not mean having a good church service, having a good outreach, and going back into the world. Amen? So too many of our outreaches have been focused on not offending people to the point of their life having to change. You see, Jesus always brought forth this point of life change the rich young ruler walked away sad because jesus didn't let it go he let him go but jesus didn't let the truth go he held on to the truth more than the person that's that's heavy now the key is this fishers of men don't release their fish back into the water of the world but so many of us are fearful of offending people that we will say it's all right just come back the next week. He had good time, everything else. See, I've heard it said, getting people saved is easy. Getting them lost is the problem. That's the hardship right there. It's easy to save people. The grace of Jesus Christ, the blessings of Jesus Christ, it's just we just receive his grace, his blessing. That's it. We receive it. It's open for the whole world. But getting people lost in this culture is hard. What I mean by that is getting people to understand their depravity and their desperate need for Jesus Christ. That has to be in our reaching. We must captivate their hearts to understand they need a Savior. Why else do they want to be reached? So many people today are saying, that's good. You got your Jesus. You got your church. You obviously believe in him. Good for you. But I'm doing just fine. I'm blessed. Got my house. Got my job. Doing just fine. I love to remind people when they say that, that, you know, no one leaves this earth alive. No one's getting out of here alive. But P.S. We might because we get to be raptured, but we don't know when. But for the sake of brevity in the conversation, I just stick with that. But uh, so many people forget that. We're not talking about death. We're not talking about the brevity of life. The Bible says our life is but a breath. So you don't have everything. And everything's on the line. You need a Savior. We need to push that. That's that reaching. We must do that. And we do that by being blessed. Like I said, we have the identity of Christ in us. Key, we live in the resurrected life, not in fixing up the old. We're not doing fixer-upper. Chip and Joe, love you guys. But the Lord has said, it's gone. It's dead. The old man is dead. You are a brand new creature in Christ. The old is gone. The new is here. Behold, now we have been raised up into the Lord. So set your sights on heaven where the Lord is, not on the earth. Amen. That's that blessing. The kingdom of God is in us. So we've reached the evangelism by knowing our identity blessing through the seed of God's word. We are all commanded to preach the gospel. Matthew 28, 20 says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everybody say obey. obey. And commanded. Those are big words today in a culture that's politically correct, in a culture that doesn't want to hear that. Jesus said, command people to obey. The commands I gave you. That's the preaching of the word. Paul says, how will they hear unless a preacher doesn't go and preach the word? When I was writing on Amy Lee's status on Facebook, she's from Evanescence, about Chris Cornell, I wrote the gospel right there. And a lot of people, hundreds of people started commenting. She has a few hundred thousand followers. So my comment went to the top. And would you know it? So many people were like, this is inappropriate. You need to say that in church. This, this can't be spoken of here. I'm like, yeah, because Chris Cornell had a song called 
Jesus Christ pose, and it was actually about him coming and condemning all the fake stars that wore crosses because they didn't live like Christ. And I'm not saying Chris was a Christian at all, but I'm saying none of these people objected to him singing about something, about the Lord, at the concerts. So why now we have to be silent? No. Look, the problem is judge not. <laughs> that is the word, that is a phrase that is coming to silence the preaching of the seed of God's word. And we must come against that with everything we have. They don't even know where it is. I always help them. I'm like, that's Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, yes. But Jesus said, get the log out of your own eye, and then you can get the speck out of your brother's eye. He didn't say, sit down and never speak again. No. In fact, Jesus said in John 7, 24, judge righteously. Judge righteously. And in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus talks about us being the light and salt of the earth. So how can you be light? How can you be salt unless you are judging what is going on? And so the argument is, well, that's only to the church. Well, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus starts out preaching to the whole vicinity, repent for the kingdom of God is near. <laughs> Everybody. He didn't say, let me just talk to the religious folks a second. Everybody else, you just don't listen. Cover your ears. We don't want to offend you by saying repent. Look, the, the key to preaching the word is this. Guard against tolerance. Guard against tolerance. I had a lot of scriptures on Judge Not. It would take an entire sermon. But I do like Micah 2.6, uh, which says, Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of thus things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Micah's talking about the culture of that time. They told Micah, don't preach, yet they preached, don't preach. And they did that because they said, we're not going to be disgraced. Isn't that interesting? That's what our culture says. Be tolerant, but they're not tolerant of you. They preach, don't preach. They say there absolutely are no absolutes. It's insanity. It's completely from the devil because God is never confused, and he's not the author of confusion. And Paul says, we destroy, we pull down arguments and everything that exalts itself, every thought that exalts itself against Christ, we pull down. We pull down strongholds. Don't be silent. Hallelujah. Raise. We talked about this. Discipline in the storm. Mark 6.48. This is where it talks about Jesus seeing. So Jesus went off to pray, but now this storm happened and the disciples are rowing against the waves, are rowing, they're rowing. And Jesus said he could see that the disciples were straining to row because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. You see, this is the truth. Jesus will watch you strain against the things of this world and adversaries of life before coming to you. Accept it. Jesus promised suffering in John 16, He said, in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus is not pampering any of us. He has not called us to be pampered. He's called us to row and strain against this world and be the light. You see, Peter, right before that, had started to sink underneath the waves, right? And Jesus pulled him out because the church is to walk on top of the water of the world. Amen? We walk on top. We don't sink to the bottom. We are walking on top. And to walk on top of waves isn't pie in the sky. Sometimes you got to row against those waves. And I don't know about you, but rowing is extremely difficult. It takes every fiber in your body, every fiber in your body to row if you row with everything you have. And if you're in a storm where you're about to drown, they were rowing with everything they had. And Jesus is watching. Wow. But then, then he comes walking on the water. Amen. Key. Guard against self-strength. 2 Corinthians 12.10 is a problem in our culture. Jesus, Paul said, when I'm weak, then he's strong. But that doesn't make sense in our culture. It doesn't make sense in a lot of our churches. We want to walk in our own strength. You see, we talked about that 
we must be broken. We must be broken. If we're going to reach and raise people to discipleship, we have to be broken to what breaks them, right? We have to be broken to the things of God and broken to the people of God. So Peter started to sink, and someone else started to sink too. You know who that was? Jonah. Jonah started to sink. Nothing is more hum- humbling and nothing breaks you more than drowning and that feeling of drowning. <laughs> I tell you, you are helpless. You are hopeless. It's like you're going to die. Peter felt that. He cried out to the Lord. Jonah said this. Jonah 2, I'm going to read some verses out of it. It just really struck me. Jonah said, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And the key is, when I said about that guardian against self-strength, that is an idol today. Self-strength. Being strong in one's own sight. Trying to do the Christian life by performance Christianity. Trying to be good enough for God. Trying to please God in our own strength. Working so hard. We have to drown in God's grace. If you're going to sink, sink into his grace. We talked about the, the second song about God's love breaking over us. Remember the, the wind breaking those, those trees down and everything else? See, John Mark McMillan wrote that song. And he was preaching, and his buddy was a youth pastor. And they were preaching that night. And that night, his friend, the youth pastor, was killed in a car wreck. And he wrote that song out of that pain and out of that brokenness about going into the depths of God's love. That's a powerful song. But it was birthed out of a very hard trial. And if we aren't willing to be broken towards the things of God, and if we are strong in our own sight, then we're not going to know what the Lord wants to do with our lives. And we're not going to know what it's like to disciple someone. Now the last part of that is time. We talked about season. Discipleship takes time. I want to read just these two last things, and then we'll get on with it. <laughs> Coming up with time. But in Galatians 1.18, Paul said, I was in Arabia for three years before I went to Cephas. So this is after Paul gets saved. He goes on the backside of a desert for three years in Arabia before he meets the apostle Peter. That's a season of time. Jesus had 30 years of prep before he was released to public ministry. Amen. So sometimes we want to see ministry coming out forth from us. We want to see this discipleship more. But again, I said, what season of time are you in? Where are you with the Lord? Because he's raising up something greater than you could imagine. But it takes that season of time. You see, the key against that is we must guard against frustration. We must guard against frustration. Because... During the times of waiting on the Lord, we can get easily frustrated, can't we? Why am I not where I want to be? Where is my ministry? I want more. Well, Acts 15, 37 through 39 accounts the first split between beloved Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. You see, John Mark went away from the ministry for a while. He According to Paul, abandoned Paul. That's how Paul felt. But Barnabas didn't see it that way. Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance. But verse 38, Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them. And there was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Never again to talk. Never again to do ministry together. The first split. By 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul would later say John Mark was a great help. So who was right? 
I don't know. Maybe the split helped John Mark become greater in the Lord, gave him some oomph to be discipled. God used both Barnabas and Paul mightily. They didn't split over doctrine, but they split over this issue of a season. Paul wanted John Mark to be more mature. Barnabas wanted to give more time. Season is a huge issue. We need to be careful in that season not to grow frustrated, not to chop someone off at the knees because they might just need some more time. Three, release. We're getting towards the end. Release through being given to the harvest. Release. This is the ministry of the Lord. John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The key is not to do your thing in the ministry. Don't do your thing. So many people get released to the ministry. They're like, I want to be released to do my thing. We talked about that. Key. Don't get offended and leave ministry because of not being recognized. And then we're released to ministry by being given, given to people through service. What did Moses do? We're talking, this is the year of the Exodus. The people are being through, going through Exodus, what, two million Jews? And Moses is the minister to them. He is called by God, sets elders. They're dealing with a lot of angry people in a very dirty place, in a very hot place. And, but we are always given to ministry. That is the key. Now, I'm sure it would have been easier for Moses in the Exodus had there not been any people to deal with. (laughs) I'm sure the ministry would be a lot easier on all of us if we didn't have people to deal with. But guess what? People are the ministry. We are called to minister the people God died for. Amen. So the key here is to guard against complaining. John 6.41, we see this is a place where when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. This is where the Jews started complaining, and they said, oh, who's he who says I'm the bread of, that came down from heaven? So we must guard against complaining in the season of when we're being given to others, because guess what? When you're given to someone, God's not always going to give you to a perfect person. In fact, there's only one perfect person who walked this earth. So that means you're going to be given in relationships and family and ministry and service to people who are imperfect and might just make you mad, just saying. They might not appreciate you all the time, and you might get offended and complain. And the Bible says, don't complain. Don't hit the rock that was Christ twice. Guess what happened to Moses? So we don't want to do that. He was barred from being in the promised land. Don't miss your promised land by complaining. It's one of the things that the Lord does not have much patience at all for. If you study out complaining in the Bible, just don't do it. The Bible says give thanks and praise and thanksgiving with all your requests. Always give thanks, always give praise to God. That will guard against the complaining spirit because we all can find things to complain about, but the Lord says give thanks in all things. Not for all things, but in all things give thanks. In all things, in all circumstances give thanks. That's why Paul and Silas were in the prison giving thanks, and God just blew them out of there, broke down the prison. Because would they have been released from prison had they been complaining? Lord, why'd you put me in here? I was just doing your call. No, they would not have. Finally, through the harvest. This is the last point, and then we're going to get into the Holy Spirit plow for the last few minutes. Released to ministry, given in service to the harvest. The harvest. God expects a return on investment. He expects us to plow hard hard hearts. He expects us to have a crop yielding fruit. John 6, 28 through 29, this is when they were still arguing. Jesus said, well, they said to Jesus, what must we do for these works of God? What are these works we must do? Jesus said, This is the work of God. Believe in whom he sent. Amen? That is the work of God. So many times we are trying to get this harvest and we're going to try and circumvent God and do all this work. Busyness is not productivity. This is the work of God. Believe on him who he sent. 
And that is for us as ministers, that is where the harvest is. Souls believing on whom Jesus is. The key to this is to eat the bread of life. John 6, 35, Jesus later answered and said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever shall come to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The key is not our own strength in ministry, but eating the bread of life continually in the Lord Jesus. He is the vine. We are the branches. We are connected to him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've given you my spirit. Paul says, stir yourself up daily, continually, ever be being filled with the spirit of God. That will yield a harvest. Amen. Point number two, our last point. The plow, plowing the hard ground. Luke 8, 5. Jesus said, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled, and the birds ate it up. Today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. That's why we're in this Exodus year. You see, so many people have read that parable, the parable of the seed. The seed is the word of God. It goes on the hard ground. Then it goes into soil that's shallow. Then it goes into the thorny ground and everything else. Then the good. But so many people leave off the hard ground, the path. I'm saying, let's go after the path. Shoo those birds away. Why should it not be plowed up? We're talking about plowing here, reaching, raising, releasing through being blessed, broken, and given so that through seed, time, and harvest, we would plow up that ground, plow up those hearts, plow up the people who are rejecting continually in our culture the seed that is being sown. We must break up the ground that is there instead of ignoring it and saying, no, oh, that's hard ground, moving on. Well, why? My heart is for those people. My heart is for the hard ground. And guess what? The path, Strong's G3598, is a traveled way, a road, a way of thinking, feeling, deciding. Our culture says if it feels good, do it. This is what we come against, that well-worn path that says there is no truth, that says you can believe whatever you want just as long as it's not Jesus Christ. You can do whatever you want, just don't preach the Bible. And we call out that insanity and we say this must be tilled up, tilled up and trampled is Kapate by Strong's G2662, which means trampled down to reject with disdain, which is the same word Jesus used in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, when he said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it is no good. It is to be trampled down. That's the same word. So the same people who trampled the word of God sown on that path are the same. It's the same trampling that's going to happen if we lose our salt. And we must not lose our salt. And if you didn't know, I was researching this today. Salt is good for soil. Not too much salt, but you need to have some salt in there. So how's the soil get hard? No salt. And David knows. Look at that. And no cultivation. Check this out. I was digging some trenches at my house. We're, right, we're almost done here. Give me three more minutes. Digging some trenches, some French trenches. And I didn't put all the soil back. I was going to do it the next day. Well, that was in February, a few weeks ago. <laughs> I was busy. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I decided to get out there and put that soil back in. It was just some soil. I mean, it, I had some stuff in there, but, you know, killed my grass. First thing, I was going to get a rake and rake it back in. No way. Hard as a rock. I'm getting a spade out there, putting all my weight, jumping on that. Thing, getting a workout in. I'm like, how did this become the earth? This was topsoil, really pliable, really good, because I dug it all out. It was like perfectly dark soil, and now it became hard as a rock, became one with the molten core of the earth, and I'm like trying to like breaking my back on this. I'm like, what happened? Well, what happened is this. The water, the rain, and the sunshine hardened the soil because it wasn't cultivated. Matt, wait, what just happened? The very things needed to grow the word of God, the seed, the water, the washing of the word, the sun, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the very things needed to grow that seed in the soil are the same things that harden hearts. Why? Because it will harden a heart that's not cultivated with it. 
If all you do is throw seed frivolously out there and never cultivate a heart, hearts start asking questions. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does God do this? Why does God do that? And when no one answers and no one steps up and no one raises up a standard against the lies of the enemy, that soil becomes hard. And then we say, oh, it's hard ground, so I'm going to go sow somewhere else. No, it's our job to cultivate. I want to end on this. Plowing is hard work. Pull up some of the pictures. Uh, Yeah, we're not playing this. This is what a lot of people think of farming. Play farm. We're going to play with our toys. Next slide. These are huge discs. This is what it takes to plow hard ground. Next slide. I want this on the stream, too. This is called the big bud. I think Pastor would like this. This tractor, and I want to see the next slide after this, too. This is the largest tilling tractor in the world. It's what we're using in our big farms. This big bud is 95,000 pounds. You can add tires to it, too. 95,000 pounds, 1,000 horsepower, V16 Detroit diesel engine in there. And that has some serious torque. And I want us to understand this. Look, you can't plow unless you have something serious to plow with. This is some torque in here. Okay? And guess what? The Holy Spirit, this is where we're ending here. The Holy Spirit is our power, Acts 1.8. The dunamis power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our cultivator. John 16.8 said, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin of unbelief. Righteousness that... Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and judgment that Satan, this ruler of this world, is judged. We need to be, put big, big bud up there. Big bud is coming back. We need to be full throttle, first gear, all day long that will go full throttle and raise, R-A-Z-E, an entire field, pull up trees, pull out rocks, Just destroy that hard ground. That's the Holy Spirit teaming up with you. And when you need more help, that's the ministry. You add more tires to that thing. You get out there, and you are plowing full throttle, first gear, all day long. The Holy Spirit never runs out of power, never gets tired, never gets down, never gets weary, is never set back by a rock or a stone or a huge tree trunk. That's, that's our engine, the Holy Spirit inside of us. Greater is he who is in us than he is in this world. The key, don't do it by yourself. Don't, don't try and think you're going to win some hard heart without the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So let's let the Holy Spirit free. Amen. Lord God, I just thank you, Father, for this time that we had. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray for hearts here today, hearts asking for loved ones to come to you. That salvation wall there. We thank you, Lord, that we can call on you, and you're faithful to plow the hard hearts, and you're putting us in the game. You're putting us in the field. You're putting us teamed up together with the power of the Holy Spirit to go full throttle all day long to not be moved by this culture, but that when people would be around us, they would tremble by your presence, Lord. They would know your presence, your spirit, because you go before us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. No hard heart is too hard for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.